and your passion is gone. And I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force. Why? Because getting mentions on the tip of the vibe buzz. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording a special Tuesday edition. It is April 4th. I'm your co-host, Jared Mintz, and joining me today and every other day is my partner in rhyme, Joseph Nardone. Joe, I got to start the show off by apologizing to you, okay? Obviously, we have a lot of things to get into, but first, an apology. On Friday, I was planning on singing happy birthday to you, and I completely spaced. I didn't ask you how your birthday was. No mention of the Nardone birthday, and I feel like a terrible friend about it. So, Joe, five days later, how was your birthday last week? Uh, well, thanks. Uh, pretty good. I think when you hit a certain age, your birthday doesn't really matter. Um, I got Mass Effect 4, so that was cool. Even though I'm old, I play video games still. Got two pairs of jeans, because I'm a dad. And uh, we had ice cream cake, so it was a win for me. It was uh, not really a win for my family, because now whenever I have free time, I want to play video games. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm just older. <laughs> what was your birthday dinner? Uh, chicken wing pasta bake, which oh, is, man. which is my favorite, my favorite meal. It's really, really like delicious. The problem is the next day, uh, you need to have like, you know, hour of your day set aside. Sounds good. Yeah. I feel, I feel like that sounds like the type of meal that you need to clear your schedule for. That sounds delicious. Well, it really is. Um, I usually make the wing sauce for it to go with the, the, like the sub, to be the sauce part of the chicken wing pasta bake, but my wifey did all of it, and it turned out really well, and uh, I enjoyed it. And um, we, the, there's four of us in our family. We ate two pounds of it in one sitting. Wow, good hustle. Right? So I guess everybody was hurting the next day. Oh, yeah, my daughter got sent home from school with a bellyache. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, it was Daddy's birthday last night. We partied too hard. Yeah, too I much chicken, pop. chicken wing pasta bake. <laughs> That's amazing. How your young daughters eat like chicken wing sauce? Well, my they both like spicy things. Amazing. It's, it's probably not the greatest parenting to let them have it, but like it was a special occasion. Their dad's getting closer to death, so they only have so many years left to live with me. Definitely a YOLO situation. Glad to hear you had a good birthday, everybody. Go with Joe a happy birthday. It's now like almost a week later, but wish him a happy birthday. He deserves it. Yeah, almost. I'm gonna be doing Mother's Day shopping today on the computer. Oh my God, we're at that part of the year already. I digress. Let's let's wrap up one thing before we get into another. And by wrapping things up, of course, I'm referring to the college basketball season, which ended last night with with a game. I don't <laughs> want to say it was a good game. I don't want to say it was a bad game. It wasn't a good game, no. It was a game, and it was close, and it came down to the wire. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we had two number one seeds, two of the best teams that we got to watch play college basketball all season. And uh, there were parts of the game where I was pretty into it, and then there were parts where I was like, oh my god, I can't wait for this game to be over. But at the end of the day, North Carolina prevails. Roy Williams wins his third championship as the coach at North Carolina. Is that correct? Third championship? Yeah, seven Final Fours, third championship since 2001. Amazing run. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, Gonzaga finally gets to the Final Four, gets to the championship game, and, and really looked like they were in control for portions, but just came up short at the end of the game. We'll get to the reasons why shortly, but first, Joe, just just talk a little bit about what stood out to you last night, and uh, you know what your thoughts are on North Carolina coming back after losing in the championship game last year and winning this year. 
So, uh, like, listen, the game was close. It was kind of ugly. We were talking off air. North Carolina made 15% of their threes. Both teams shot below 36% from the floor. Um, I don't want to blame the refs, right? Traditionally, they, they call, like, as the tournament goes on, the games get called tighter. It's kind of the way it goes. It was kind of crappy to see Zach Collins get in foul trouble, but really kind of uh, changed the dynamic of the game because he's a special player. Um, Karnowski not making bunnies was a shocker. I thought he did do a good job against Kennedy Meeks, um, who didn't really attempt that many field goals because Karnowski's just a giant human being that you can't mess with. Um, but I thought the difference, if you're Gonzaga, you were hoping Karnowski would not just offset Meeks, but would outscore him, and he should have. He was just missing bunnies. Like, he was getting, like, Gonzaga's guards were doing a great job getting him the ball in the post within three feet of the basket, which is his bread and butter, where he just muscles up and puts up a little baby hook every time, and he just couldn't make any of those bunnies. He was one fray from the field. Um, he, like, I mean, I don't want to put it on him, but he played a bad game uh, offensively. Um, Justin Jackson remains a beast. His, um, he wasn't good from three last night, which uh, goes back to his first two seasons in the league. He shot, or the league, in college, he shot below 30% from the field this year. He, he became a 37% three-point shooter. So, But he was still great, 6-19 for the field, 16 points. Joe Barry shot a ton and scored a ton, but he wasn't necessarily good. So, like, nobody was, like, really great in this game. Like, I'm not going to, like, I know people are in, like, kind of, they're trying to do this Isaiah Hicks thing where they're like, yeah, he was the X Factor. Um, but nobody really stood out, and I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's a stud tonight. But, um... Even just, uh, real quick to interrupt, even yeah. Nigel Williams-Goss, who was getting a ton of credit on the Gonzaga side, he made some big buckets late in the game before he hurt his ankle. I mean, he went 5-17 of 17 from the field. I feel like the story here is not the offense from anybody. That's that's not, you know, something that happened to, to cause this either team to win or whatever. It just was such a strangely played game. So many, so many guys who usually make shots missing, missing shots. You bring up Justin Jackson, I mean... He had a relatively great game compared to everybody out there, and the guy couldn't hit a perimeter jumper. Right, right. Like it was one of his worst games. Like really, like, and he's like a really, really good player. Like his transformation. I, I wrote about Roy Williams this morning. I used Justin Jackson as a talking point because the idea was because of the academic scandal, uh, North Carolina couldn't recruit during it. Justin Jackson was a top ten recruit, right? So this yep. well, it wasn't like this guy was a bum coming in. He was this really highly touted prospect who. Just had no jumper for the first two years, and then this season, like like somebody they said on the broadcast the other night, Roy Williams is like, "Hey, Justin, like you kind of need to develop a jumper, you know what I mean?" And then you can become a really good player, and he became a great player this year, like a a, a near dominant basketball player. And uh, despite him playing real, like well for almost anybody else, he played one of his worst games of the season, and I think that was kind of indicative of the whole game, like. Karnowski, uh, Williams guys who, I get what your point was, he did a lot of other things, like he rebounded, he, he set, up, set up teammates, but he didn't play like his best game of the season. Um, Kennedy Meeks was kind of a non-factor. I know he had 10 rebounds. Uh, Pinson, non like you just keep going. Joe Barry had all those points, 22 points. He was 4 of 13 from, from 3. Um, Luke May, fifth best player in the tournament, who also struggled in the game prior, 0 on the board. I was uh, going to say, how do we get this far? How have we mentioned so many names and Luke May hasn't come up yet? I just because wanna... he wasn't, because like we discussed on Friday's podcast, whoever the John Gassaway or whatever had him the fifth best player in the tournament, and then he did nothing. He had three points in total, two games. He averaged 1.5 points in the final four. Um, so, yeah, like nobody, like 
I think over time this will be fu- the game will be finally remembered because the game was close. But I think realistically, for to be honest about it, it was a pretty dreadful, forgetful. I think this is like the Butler Duke game. Like Butler Duke games remembered because uh, Gordon Hayward almost made that half court shot. The game was actually horrible. And I think right. that's kind of what this game is going to be like in a couple of years. And be like, yeah, this game was great, but it really wasn't. <laughs> yeah, there were stretches of it. You know, you bring up the Butler Duke game. There were stretches of it that felt like that Butler UConn game where just neither team could score. I mean, I wouldn't say there was like a 10 minute stretch of game time, not like actual 10 minutes, but 10 minutes in game time where neither team in the second half could like hit a field goal. It was it was really bad in stretches. The officiating. I mean, I hate talking about the refs the day after a game. But how can you not bring them up? I mean, it seemed like they didn't even want Zach Collins out there. Uh, in, in stretches, it, it felt the same about, uh, who was it, Justin Williams, too. Was just They were calling these ticky-tack fouls in such a big game, such a big moment. I mean, I can't help but wonder if Zach Collins got to play even 20, 25 minutes, if we wouldn't be talking about a different result today. And he played well. He was like one of the lone dudes when he was actually on the floor. And four, he played 14 minutes, which is not a lot. 9.7 boards, three blocks. Three blocks, right. He was incredibly impactful. I mean, he had four turnovers, but I feel like a few of those came on those foul calls. And there's also and then, those weird, like, Jordan Matthews and them guys, uh, they didn't do, or yeah, Jordan, yeah, Jordan Matthews and them guys didn't do them any favors. Like, a lot of those low post passes, they were doing these bounce passes to their ankles, and they were giving the turnovers to Kronowski and Collins for some reason. So they weren't really like four turnovers on him. They were like shared turnovers. Right. Yeah, it just it was, it was a really strange game just in terms of the officiating. I mean, the same same with Hicks. They were calling a lot of t- ticky-tack fouls on him. I just, I hate it when the refs kind of take control of the game that doesn't need to be taken control of. It's a physical game, of course. You know, these two teams are, are physical teams. They have bigger guys. And this, yeah, this, that's a good. They were bit, like this was going like people go. We we talked about this, in, or yeah, we didn't. I talked about this in the column leading into this. Is the the key matchup was going to be the front courts, right? So and Kronowski and Collins and Meeks and these guys are just beasts, and they love to bang and they love to bump. Like you're you're removing that factor from the game by calling those fouls. For sure. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 it's cool. We're talking about, you know, bad offense. I do want to give credit to Justin Jackson defensively. Uh, You know, we just brought up Nigel Williams-Goss. He got hot in the first half, and then they put Justin Williams, I'm sorry, Justin Jackson's on him. And it felt like he really kind of locked him down and got in his head a little bit. Goss was was forcing things a little bit more after Jackson came on him. He was shooting as soon as he touched the ball from like 30 feet out, you know, bombing them and not not hitting. So I, I think that Justin Jackson, despite... Not being able to hit his shots, you know, Joel Berry obviously was the high scorer of the game, made a couple of really big shots to keep the team in it, but I really thought Justin Jackson was kind of the best player out there for North Carolina last night. I brought, you know, I'm glad you brought up the defensive thing, because the dude's like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and I have no idea what his NBA draft prospects are, but he's really impressive, and him going on Goss, who's this really shifty, he's able to weave around guys. And basically shut him down when when Roy Williams put on put him on him was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really was. And he's one of these guys. I think he's been touted as a lottery pick. You know, you talked about him as as a prospect or a recruit rather coming into the North Carolina program. And yeah, he didn't have that shot early on. But the way he's built and you know, kind of his offense and the shots he looks for, people were comparing him to Kevin Durant. And granted, that's just because. You know, we get so wacky trying to look for NBA comparisons for college basketball players, but he's a major talent. He was a major prospect. And, you know, one of these themes with the, these Roy Williams teams lately is landing bigger name guys, them coming to the program and not necessarily being stars immediately, 
but staying for three or four years and really turning into good players and and helping Carolina win a lot of games, which kind of brings me to my next point of, you know, this team, these last couple of years, get to the championship game and then win the championship the next year. Are we talking about the best coaching job that Roy Williams has done? I mean, this isn't the most talented team he's ever had, yet, you know, we're looking at back-to-back 33-win seasons for Roy Williams' team. Where do you rank, you know, this Carolina team kind of with the teams that he's coached over the last decade? This is his, I think it's his best coaching job. I also think this is his least talented title team. Um, like, Justin Jackson's great, and then everybody else is kind of just there. Do you know what I mean? Like, Joel Berry's, Joel Berry's good, right? But nobody's going to remember who Joel Berry is in four years. I, this is exactly how I feel, and I'd say the same about, you know, Pinson and Hicks and Britt. These are all guys who aren't, you know, huge names or great players or amazing talents. But they've won, you know, they've gotten to this incredible point. Back to back years in the title game, exactly. And and I think that's I think that's a credit to Roy Williams. And it's I don't want to undercut how like he's like I'm not saying Barry's bad, right? Neither of us are saying that. It's just he's not going to be this historically great all time remember North Carolina player like other teams Roy Williams has had. Um, Justin Jackson might be, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Just because they won the title, but I don't feel like he has that. That aura around him, that mythology where people, like he was this dominant national force all year. Um, because everybody else, like Kennedy Meeks, cool, man. Do you, uh, cool? Do you know what I mean? Like it's just weird how this is, this these last two years, this is the team that Roy Williams winning the title Monday night. This is the team, like this is his most dominant two-year stretch in his coaching career. Right. It's it's incredible. Uh, I just, you know, you know me, obviously, I lean Duke, so I don't ever want to give them credit for doing anything well. But I just can't help but, you know, sit here today and be amazed with the job that Roy's done. And it kind of looked like that program was falling off a little bit, you know, a few years ago. And obviously, you know, they're still dealing with scandal. But the fact that they've been as good as they have, not even just the last couple of years. I mean, you mentioned seven Final Fours now with Roy, and we're not talking about teams that are loaded with NBA guys these last few years. I just, I, I'm amazed with the job that he did and the fact that they were able to win last night and just have the season that they had again after getting as far as they did last year. I mean, I know they returned the majority of their guys, no Marcus Page on this team, but I just, I didn't expect it out of this team. And all tournament long, I was waiting for somebody to beat them because I just figured the team would be able to get hot and, and, you know, put them away, and it just didn't happen. So shows you how good of a job Roy Williams did and how good this team was and how they pulled together. I mean, I'm I'm very impressed, even though it wasn't a great game, very impressed that they were able to make this run. I'm with you, and the Gonzaga Bulldogs should be proud of themselves because, I mean, realistically, this is like St. Francis, New York, all of a sudden becoming a national power. Well, I'm glad that you said that because they are a national power. And I was really kind of waiting to see what kind of narratives would come out of this game, regardless of the result. You know, obviously, North Carolina wins. And we're talking about this storied program, Carolina winning again. But I was wondering to see, you know, if it was going to be built as powerhouse versus Cinderella, which you just really can't call Gonzaga at all anymore. And I I didn't pay a ton of attention to, to the coverage of this game. So I don't really know how Gonzaga was portrayed but I feel like I didn't hear anybody trying to downplay how great of a job Mark Few's done and how this team really isn't, you know, just a, a West Coast Conference team that got lucky to find itself in a championship. This is a top five to ten program in the country, right? Yeah, I'm with you. I, the thing was, like, all college basketball media, like, maybe a year or two ago, were just finally was just like, all right, Gonzaga's a national program. Um, the lead into this game was national media that doesn't follow college basketball regularly 
that parachuted in, um, did the whole, they had a really easy road bit and all that stuff. Um, so there was some of that, but anybody that follows college basketball has kind of accepted them. And now, like, even though they lost on Monday night, it's it's official now. Like, it's Duke, it's North Carolina, it's Kentucky, it's Villanova, and Gonzaga's in that mix now. Do you know what I mean? It's They're legitimately in that mix. You have, I mean, just using examples like Jordan Matthews, like, guys are transferring out of, air, air quotes, bigger programs to go to Gonzaga. Do you know what I mean? Um, and giving up individual numbers and stuff like that. And um, Zach Collins might be a one-and-done player. Um, so, like, yeah, man, they're legit. They're, they're, they're a legit annual national power, even though they play in the, uh, the WCC, which, by the way, nobody cares about, but that league's getting much, much better. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Big, big time. And, you know, just a good season for them. I hope that Mark Few can kind of find himself getting this far again. And I don't really have any doubts that, that he will and that this program will continue to flourish. Speaking of the Gonzaga program, one of the highlights for me last night was seeing your boy Adam Morrison in the stands looking like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Did you see him with his hair back? I did not. You didn't see Adam Morrison? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I saw pictures of an app, like him all tanned up and stuff like that. Maybe he looked more like Rob Van Dam than Jean-Claude Van Dam, but I thought it was pretty cool to see him. Uh, any other thoughts that you had from last night's game or even just wrapping up the season? Um, I thought overall it was a good season. Um, the immediate uh, reaction I saw this morning was, this is why you don't need one-and-dones to win championships. Um, uh, go away. Yeah, like, listen, man, like, your job as a coach is to get the best players as possible, right? Like, Justin Jackson, had he lived up to the hype, would have been a one-and-done. So yep. let's not like I love these that, that that's a lot of people's idea is that like North like I mentioned it before North Carolina couldn't recruit during this academic scandal. Um, no, he got still got a bunch of five star guys. They just didn't turn out to be one and done. And Zach, uh, Zach Collins was probably the best player on the court last night. He's going to be a one and done. Well, I don't think he was the best. I think Justin Jackson right now today whatever is the best player out of that game. But yeah, Zach Collins probably has the most potential and is the probably the best future pro or whatever however you want to put it. Per yeah. play, not not to be hot taking and just react to one game, but per play, I think Collins was the most impactful guy in that game last night. I know that's that's real, you know, nitpicking and saying a guy that played 14 minutes and you know caught himself in foul trouble. You have to weigh that too. But if if you know if you don't get one of those screen calls and the guy's able to play five to ten more minutes, we could be talking about something different. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with you about it. I just think no, well, if you had you wheels, know. you'd be a bicycle. Thanks, Joe. All right. Well, well played. Understood. You, you, I, mean, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's good. I'm done. Cool. Cool. Well, we still got a little bit more college basketball to talk about. Uh, there was a little bit of a Twitter spat last night in regards to players getting paid. We're not going to get into that. But we did kind of want to bring up, you know, it's it's been tossed around that college basketball ratings are up and that the the Final Four and March Madness drew drew good ratings and drew a lot of attention because there's no controversy in college basketball, and because the players aren't outspoken and there are no political agendas. Joe, you want to talk about why that's like the wrongest thing anybody could say? I, I know Ernie Johnson spoke on that either last week or the week before, and uh, who else was it? Jason McIntyre from the big lead. I mean, it could be sticky with him. He could just be you know saying things to say things, but multiple people in the media are trying to draw that narrative. Can you tell me why it's wrong? Yeah, it's pretty easy. Um so before the season started, the biggest storylines were Wisconsin's two, two of the three best players, Nigel, or yeah, Nigel Wisconsin, Nigel Hayes, and Bronson. Help me with the last name again. Koenig. Koenig, Koenig. Uh, being super outspoken about a variety of issues and doing activism and stuff like that. 
You had Roy Williams, Coach K, speak out against the HB2 bell. You had just incident like there's there's tons. And historically speaking, um, college basketball in a in a weird way, not all, not every coach and not every player, is oddly progressive and outspoken politically. So um and not always not always progressive, like their thoughts are progressive, but every every coach has an opinion on politics. Like Bobby Knight wasn't afraid to share his politics opinions back in the day either. So the idea that that's why the final four ratings are up is kind of absurd. The number of the tournaments were up, the reason the tournament numbers were up was because big name programs kept advancing. Also, the storyline interests like Frank Martin, um, son of Cuban exiles, Miami born and bred. Uh, that's like a big story, like a big human interest storyline that got a lot of national coverage, like outside of sports. And uh, and North Carolina obviously travels huge. Like all these reasons. Playing the factor and nothing to do because some kid in Wisconsin's like, yeah, I'm sick of hearing about Carmelo Anthony's activism in Baltimore, so I'm gonna go watch the team score 67 points tonight. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's stupid. It's it's gambling because the brackets are the easiest, like the easiest thing to gamble on. Like not the easiest thing to win, but all you have to do is pick between two teams. Um, it's because it's fun. It's because. Like, really, like, and, and I'm a college basketball writer, so maybe I'm biased, but March Madness is probably the favorite post. My, for me, it's probably one of the best. It's probably the best postseason tournament in all, of all sports. Um, so, yeah, like, trying to parlay those two things as people are being outspoken against very political, like, the bathroom bill, or however you want to phrase it, was is one of the most decisive things in the country, and the sport's biggest names talked about it all year. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's always huge. It's always March Madness. It's not like, ooh, what's this new thing that no one ever cared about before? I mean, it always sweeps the nation, and it always sweeps sports. And it's it's literally like the two weeks of the year that anybody pays attention to college basketball. So Except me. <laughs> right, I know. No, I don't want to say I'm gonna be. I'm going to be back in, the, what do the cool kids call it, the young bloggers? Back in the lab later breaking down some Taco Fall film. Oh my God! You would. Um, I do have really, like six of his games DVR. This is where <laughs> this is where college basketball takes spotlight, and it's just it's annoying to see people, especially Ernie Johnson, that really rubbed me the wrong way. See people, you know, kind of use this as, as their agenda to try and quiet down the NBA and the NFL and anybody else that, that's outspoken or political. I mean, athletes have a platform. Let them use it to try and you know make our society a better place, even if you don't feel it benefits you. It was just so weird to, to see that take emerge and to see people try to make college basketball this wholesome place where where it's not. It's not. There's so much corruption. And I don't know how many people, you know, really care about, you know, the whole aspect of players not getting paid and the amount of money the NCAA makes, you know, exploiting players, not just in basketball, but in other sports as well. It's just such a weird take. Oh no! It it, it 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 really is like it's just one of those things where it's agenda filled. Not like some of these guys are shtick, right? Like they don't actually believe what they're saying. Like no, you know what I mean. Like a lot of it's just whatever. They're just doing it for for clicks or ratings. But uh, the people that if if anybody actually believes this, you're only picking to see what they want to see. And there's also a level of I want. Not me personally, but through their lens. I want subservancy from my athletes. I don't want them to have opinions. I don't want them to have thoughts. I don't want them to have um, a free-flowing, fluid mind, which is stupid, man. Like, we, uh, 
it's it, sports are weird, like because a lot of people care more about the sport than the people playing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, well, it's really well said. Because here's the deal: like, not everybody that plays basketball or football or baseball loves it. Like, for the, a lot of them, it's an end to a means for a lot. Like, like there are guys like Michael Jordan who are obsessed with winning and love basketball, or Allen Iverson who love basketball, and then there are guys who like they were good at it and it kept getting them places they need to go. And then when they finally got their end game, whether that's a college education or a big contract in the pro sports, then they stop caring. You know, and I get that because everybody in whatever walk of life you're in, whether you're a member of the media or you're an accountant at H&R Block or if you're the fry cook at Burger King, whatever you reach, whatever your goal is, you kind of lose that hunger because you've reached your end game. As a fan, you're, for whatever reason, those people are never satisfied. So you're always going to care more than... 99% of the athletes. And that's not to say the athletes don't care, but they they're, they do have balance. Like, their life isn't just watching, Lake, like, playing it for the Lakers. They, they also want to have a family. They also want to do other things. Like, you know, just because they're good at, they have a jump shot doesn't mean they don't have other goals or dreams or whatever. Sorry, I just had oh. a weird tangent. It was bothering me because I saw a tweet the other day about it, how uh, if this person only cared more, blah, 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 blah. One, you can't question somebody's work ethic or level of caring because you have no idea what that person's doing. Two, like, this idea that athletes at any level are, are all they're supposed to do is do these things that you think they're supposed to do. Like, college players, just put your face in the books and then go score 20 points a game. Don't take money and don't want, don't have opinions and blah, blah, blah. blah. Like, it's all so stupid. Yep. Like, I, I, like imagine going to your job... And telling somebody that works next to you, like, hey, like you're you're pretty good at what you do, but you know what? You can't have any opinions because this is what you do for a living. And that's all you're allowed to be. Your work defines you. Yeah. It's it's pretty That's a really random ramp, I mean, so I apologize. No, I'm I dig it, man. Rant away. This is why we're here. This is what they pay us for, Joe. This is why we make the big bucks so you could rant. Uh let's let's take it to a lighter note. Stay with basketball. Let's definitely pivot, Joe. Keyword. Uh New head coach at Georgetown, Joe. Whoop, whoop. Try captain Patrick Ewing. Pat Ewing, Georgetown oh, alumni. Great, great college basketball player. Very good NBA assistant coach for these last 15 years. Finally gets a head coaching job. He's returning to his alma mater. Joe, obviously, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when John Thompson III was fired. And uh, you kind of brought up some reasons that Ewing shouldn't get the job. Do you feel any different today? Do you think this is the right hire? Where do you stand I'm Patrick Ewing, head coach of the Georgetown Hoyas. So I wrote about this a couple days ago. It's not that I don't know if it's the right hire or not. It's, is Georgetown only hiring him because he's a legacy? Because if that's the only reason you're hiring him, it's a bad move. You're literally coming off a, uh, a legacy hiring John Thompson III. Um, that's not to say he's not qualified, but in a weird way, he's not. Like, he has 15 years of NBA coaching experience, zero in, in college. I didn't like the Chris Mullen hire, and I know these are different because Hewing actually has coaching experience, but his job one now is to get super embedded in the college ranks assistants to join him at Georgetown. That could recruit the DMV really well, the Beltway, all that nonsense. And there's going to be a learning curve. And there's also, I, I wrote about this, and I don't, like, here's the thing, like, it could be for nefarious reasons why he never got a head coaching job in the NBA, 
But it could also be because despite everybody's reports of how great an assistant coach he is, people just don't see him as a head coach. Yeah, yeah I mean, so you, could say that. you could say he'd have a head coaching job by now if they did. With that said, do you think, you know, maybe he's a little more qualified to coach at the college ranks? No, he's less. He's more qualified to coach in the NBA than he is in college. He has no college experience. He has 15 years in the NBA. That's not debatable. Well, no, that's very factual, what you just said. But you still see guys, you know, kind of take the, the trip from the NBA down to college basketball. Name all the successes. Name all the successes of guys stepping. Because there's not as many as people think of going from the NBA to college. Because Larry Brown started in college. Right. Yeah, well, that's the thing, too, is you do see a lot of guys that How's start. How's Mike Dunleavy doing right now? Not not great. Avery Johnson is trying to rebuild the program. Not I great mean, so far. I mean, he's yep. going. It looks like he's going to give him credit. It looks like he's going to figure it out. By the way, I, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, Jeff Bizdelic was doing a decent job for a number of years. Don't know how he's doing now. Uh, Which I, is probably I, I, telling. Right. No, no, no. It absolutely is. I mean, none of these guys are the stars of their sport, and you would think that they'd have a leg up because they're well known and they they've coached at you know maybe a more competitive level. There's more that goes into coaching in college basketball. Not to say it's a harder job than coaching in the NBA. It's just you're taking on different responsibilities. I was listening to Woj had Jeff Van Gundy and Tom Crean on his podcast either last week or the week before, and Van Gundy was kind of talking about the differences of coaching in the NBA and talking about college. And, you know, he mentioned he's like, you know, you just live on the phone when you're a college basketball coach. You're constantly calling, constantly texting, constantly reaching out to recruits. I don't know that Patrick Ewing's going to be able to do that. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, here's the, here's the big uh, misconception with college coaches. The in-game coaching doesn't matter as much as people think, Right. It's about recruiting, it's about system, and it's about having great assistants around you, right? Um, this is why when Steve Lavin took over at St. John's, his first phone call was to Gene Cady. Because he knew he wasn't a great in-game coach, so let me get Gene Cady over here. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. why John Calipari tries to load up his, his staff with a balance of great recruiters and great in-game coaches. It's why, I can't pronounce his last name, Matt Abadilish or whatever, who's on St. John's bench right now, is a great recruiter and so coveted by so many colleges because he's very, very good at one specific thing, which is recruiting. And that's why Chris Mullen needs him because he needs somebody to help him in that area. Um, it takes a team. Yeah, it, it, it really takes a team. Like, it's a village. Like, it takes a village to make a coach great. It's not just the coach. Because the idea of Patrick Ewing going into some – and I'm not saying he's not going to. I'm just saying it's, it's still – it's going to be hard to grasp – He's the knock on, not the knock, but the idea, the, the positive of the Chris Mullen hire, right, was that he had New York ties, and he would show up in New York high school gyms to recruit, which he has. Is Patrick Ewing going to do that? Is he going to be able to kiss the butt of an 18-year-old kid? Because that's kind of what you have to do. And right. I was going to say he has to. It doesn't. He's got to do it. And you also have to have a system in place. And then there's the idea of, and I think this was this isn't Patrick Ewing's fault. I think this is a perception issue. Is because he's a big man, the idea automatically of the system is going to be slow and methodical and big man orientated. And I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. I think that's kind of what kind of prevented from getting an NBA job as well. Is the game was evolving to a quicker pace, smaller ball version of basketball, and then you have giant Patrick Ewing who represents slow pace, punchy in the face basketball of the '90s and the Knicks. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is. If the if George yeah the next if George Trump thought this was the best hire they could make then great if they only hired him if they would have not here's the way I look at it if Patrick Ewing wouldn't have been a candidate if he went to school at Syracuse instead of Georgetown then they shouldn't be hired I don't like the idea of legacy hires ever 
I didn't like it with St. John's and Chris Mullen. I don't like what Patrick Ewing and George Chanel. I think if you could, if you could, if, 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 you could do a better, get a better coach who's proven to be a better coach, you do it, especially if you're a George Chanel job that's been trending in the wrong direction because they can't afford another cycle of failure. They can't because if they do, they're going to be DePaul and St. John's. Yeah, it's, it's fair. And, I get, you know, I just kind of wish that we had – I wish we had more evidence to go by here to kind of evaluate this hire. Unfortunately, a lot of it's hearsay. A lot of it's hearing people either say good things or bad things about Ewing. I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen guys like Yao Ming and Dwight Howard and even, you know, lately going to Charlotte, guys like Cody Zeller and Frank Kaminsky and even Al Jefferson kind of develop and take next steps under Ewing's tutelage. So we, we've seen him do a good job with big guys, and we've heard that he can coach guards too, and that he kind of has an impact on everybody that, that he coaches, but we just haven't seen him in this leadership role yet. So I wish that we had more to, to judge this higher on, and I, I think it's valid to kind of bring up you know what you did of if he was a Syracuse alum, would he still be getting this Georgetown job? We don't really know how qualified he is to be a college head coach here. I think if he would have gotten an NBA, coach, an NBA head coaching gig, it would have been more understandable than this, you know, it's fair to bring up that this seems like it's just a legacy. Well, we're going to know how seriously college basketball, the community, takes Hewing as a college coach. Because if he could get good coaches, assistant coaches, that means there's a legitimate chance for this to work. Not just because he's getting good coaches, but because people are taking the hire seriously. Like, the fear with the Chris Mullen hire was, is this just a, a press hire, right? Is this just a PR hire? And then he, he got good assistant coaches. So then you're like, all right, maybe this will work, maybe it won't. But people are taking it seriously. So if Patrick Ewing can, could bring in good assistant coaches, that means everybody's taking this, taking him and Georgetown seriously. If we start seeing unimpressive assistant coaches going in, that means everybody's recognizing it as just a PR hire, which means we, we know it's going to end up being a disaster. So the next month, month and a half, when we start seeing the names coming in, the assistant coaching names coming in, it's going to be telling because I'm, I'm, we can revisit this in a month. And we'll go through the assistant coaches. If they're a bunch of guys we never heard of <clears throat> or don't have good reputations in college, it's going to be very, very troubling and concerning. And then you could already put the death nail in the program. We will see. I hate to be that negative about it because I want him to succeed. I do. And I know I've been super negative the last five minutes on it. I really want Patrick Ewing to be a really, really good coach. Me too. We will see. You're right. You know, over the next couple of weeks, months, we'll, we'll find out more on, you know, how we should feel about this hire, but uh, I know that I'm rooting for him. Before we jump off the topic of college basketball, Joe, did you watch One Shining Moment last night or this morning yet? No, I actually haven't, no. I haven't watched it either. I wanted to ask you if LeVar Ball made made the cut. I wonder if he did. I'd imagine he probably did. I'm going to say 50-50. Fair enough. Uh, before we switch topics, we only got a couple more things to get to. Breaking news this morning. Tony Romo retiring. Kicking the bucket. Tony his playing career. Retiring from the sport of football and is going to go into broadcasting. I don't think we really need to talk about it, but I couldn't see it and not bring it up. So uh, see you, Tony Romo. Enjoy retired life. See you on Sunday and on what? the links. Actually, this is a great segue, and I didn't even mean for it to happen because up next I kind of wanted to talk about WrestleMania. And by talk about I mean let you talk about it because I obviously didn't see it. And as you all know, I do not watch wrestling, but – I couldn't help but notice Twitter kind of talking about, obviously, they were going to talk about WrestleMania, but really, they were talking a lot about The Undertaker retiring. 
Joe, bring, bring us up to speed. What, what happened on Sunday night? How was WrestleMania? And uh, what's the deal with the Undertaker? Is he finally is he finally retiring after uh, thirty years of killing <laughs> his knees and destroying his body? All right. So WrestleMania was too long. Wrestling fatigue. I don't need seven hours of pro wrestling on a Sunday. Um, overall, it was a decent show. So the Undertaker is fighting Roman Reigns in a match. The entire angle of the match is whose yard is it? Right. Who's the big guy in the yard? Um, Roman Reigns was still kind of a good guy, and The Undertaker's The Undertaker. The match was so-so. The Undertaker is not who he used to be in the ring. Can't really move about that much. Under uh, Roman Reigns tried to carry the match. Roman Reigns won after 9,000 spears. Um, so he leaves. Undertaker gets up after a couple of minutes. He, the lights go out. He, they go back on. He's dressed in his full garb, and then he takes off his gloves and his coat and his hat, and he puts it in the ring. This, like, you know, s- signal his retirement. Um, man, I gotta tell you, by the time this match happened, it was the last match of the night. I was so ap- I, I was so emotionally uninvested anymore that I was just like, oh, okay, Undertaker's retiring. <laughs> I didn't even care. Like, I know he was supposed to care, but at that point in the show, I was just like, eh. All right, he's gone. And plus, he can't wrestle anymore. And I hate to sound so apathetic towards it, but I didn't really care. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fair. I, I think another aspect to this, just seeing it, does anybody actually ever retire from wrestling? Uh, Shawn Michaels did. When he lost his retirement match, he's like one of the few dudes that never came back. And he's not ever going to come back? I mean, but Shawn Michaels is a little different because at least this is a guy who, like, you know, was really retired with a legitimate injury for a number of years. And, you know, no one really expected that. Oh, they've been offering him tons of money. Like, every they offered a month, like, $3 million at the Royal... Like, $3 million for one match at the Royal Rumble. He turned it down. That is insane. I would probably do that, but I'm so not... So would I, but he, his whole deal is he didn't want to be like Ric Flair or the Hulk Hogan. Like, these guys that, like, when they're washed, keep coming back. And I think The, the Undertaker's been washed for, like, two years. And, uh... Is that it? Yeah, and, well, there's... Reports came out after that, like... He pretty much said before the show to Vince McMahon, like, hey, like, I'm, I'm toast. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just done. And he, he, he's like the old school wrestling guy where, like, the, the saying is, like, you go out on your back. Like, when, you, when you're retiring, you should go out losing to put a younger guy over. So, uh, you know, like, give him that giant rub. So they're like, oh, okay. So I guess, it, like, Roman Reigns is going to be the guy that gets the giant rub, and then you're going to retire. And that was pretty much it. Like, he was like, I'm, I'm done. So they, that's, he, that's he, great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so, I mean, that's it. And, like, I know I'm supposed to care more. And I do care, I guess, a little bit. But I'm just so... By that time that match happened, I was so emotionally drained uh, and just tired. And I just wanted to go to bed. And even yesterday, like, I, I, I after the title game, I fast-forwarded through Raw. And uh, they did, like, a Roman Reigns where he's slightly turning heel, it looks like, or whatever. Um, but there wasn't really a huge mention of The Undertaker, so... I just imagine next year at the Hall of Fame, he'll be there, and that'll be the end of it. I, I kind of am glad that that Shawn Michaels thing came into this, and that, you know, you brought up the point, or he brought up the point, of not wanting to be Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan, because I feel like that's kind of what happens to a lot of these wrestlers, and they don't really know when to retire, and they stick around too long. Well, the thing and is, too, like, those 80s guys and the early 90s guys, they come from a different era where, like, money wasn't being saved. They had... They, not all of them, but a lot of them fell into addiction issues and stuff like that. Like wrestlers now, shoot, like 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 it started with like Hunter Helmsley and Shawn Michaels after he got clean. Like guys don't do any of that stuff. Like they don't drink a ton. They don't do drugs. 
they're, they're, they live a very clean life and they're very, they're much better with their money. And the WWE is much better than helping with helping them be good with their money. So they don't need to chase the money when their career is over. Like, like the, I'm talking about like the top tier guys, like the guys on the low card, they're going to have to chase the money forever. But like, if you, if you're a top guy for a number of years, there's no, no need to chase the money. Plus the undertaker will probably be given some kind of legends contract. Like money's never going to be an issue for the guy. Same thing with Shawn Michaels, like a guy like Ric Flair, who's gone through bankruptcy a couple times, has a bunch of personal demons. You get why he needs to chase the money. Even Hulk Hogan, he has an ego issue, right? So that's why he he's not necessarily just chasing the money. He's also chasing the feet of the ego. Right. And, I mean, listen, there is a nostalgia thing. And if you're getting paid all this money to literally come into a ring and, you know, bounce off the ropes for five minutes and not really take any big bumps or do anything crazy, hell, chase your money. You know, Like Goldberg, are, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, like Goldberg, too. I mean, the fans are going to go nuts. There, there's so much nostalgia in wrestling. And it's kind of crazy that it hasn't died out with guys like Flair and Hogan. I mean, I'm imagining it kind of has at this point. I yeah, but now they're doing, like, now they're psych- like, instead of doing the Hogan Flair stuff, they're doing the Attitude Era stuff. It's like Rock and Austin right. and yeah, those guys. Right. The Hardy right. Boys came back at WrestleMania. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it's just going to cycle. And then, like, in another 10 years, they'll be bringing back John Cena and Randy Orton. You know what I mean? Those guys disappear. It, it, it does work that way. It's always going to be – it's a good point you made. Part of the appeal of wrestling is the nostalgia aspect of – so, like, when you we're little kids, it was Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, those guys, and Ric Flair. So when we see them come back, it's always like, oh, like, you feel like a kid again. And then, like, in another 10 years, it'll be somebody else that was a kid getting to see those guys come back. So, yeah, nostalgia is a big reason of it. And like you said, like, it's really hard to turn down, like, a lot of money for, like, a one-time appearance. Right, especially when you're not doing anything. I mean, you're not, you're not going to be – I don't know if he still takes bumps like this, but you're not going to be Jeff Hardy – Coming in, you know, for he one jumped match. off like a fifty foot ladder at WrestleMania. Right, you're not coming <laughs> and jumping off a hell in a cell through a table. You but know, they're still relatively thing. young, right? And they never stopped wrestling. They just left. Well, Jeff Hardy had the drug issues or whatever, and then his brother Matt went, went with him. He like they're still like active wrestlers. They're not they're not necessarily guys that retired and came back. Right, right. Like a Goldberg know, or whatever. So then, just to wrap up this whole Undertaker thing, I mean, do you feel he's leaving at the right time? You said he's been watched for a couple of years now. Do you think that they could have dragged this thing along? I mean, is it even is it even still exciting when he's headlining an event? Because I know when I was still watching, I mean, I guess at this point it's it's ten to fifteen years ago. I was kind of over his shtick. I kind of didn't really feel like he was moving around well. It was kind of just like it was borrowed time. It was we're still playing up this Undertaker thing that mattered in the early to mid nineties, even late nineties. To me, like, his last relevant, you know, feuds were with, like, Kane when Kane was just coming back. And I know he had better stuff since then. I don't mean to be, like, judgy guy who doesn't watch wrestling. If you enjoy it, I'm not trying to crap on you. Or, and that's not you, Joe, but that's you, anybody. Just, like, is he getting out at the right time? Was this a long time coming? Or is this kind of, like, shocking to people? Um, it's a long time coming. He, he's about three years away from his last good match at WrestleMania. Um, the only better way they could have done it is probably you can't do it with a young guy like you can't make it Roman Reigns versus the Undertaker in a retirement match because you know Roman Reigns isn't going to lose but the best way to do it is to kind of like let it be known going in that it's the Undertaker's last match because then like you would be more okay with the match being bad and you better be you you'd be better equipped to appreciate the fact that this is it because you didn't like the crowd was kind of indifferent for that match as well because they try to do a lot of storytelling in it more so than Matt, like wrestling. And I actually think they both did a very good job of it because The Undertaker can't move anymore. He literally can't move. 
So, and I thought Roman Reigns, who people hate, did a really good job of trying to help tell the story. And then at the end, when people realize, oh, this is it, then they were able to appreciate it more. I think if they knew that going in, um, it, everything would have been uh, better received. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and that's easy for me to say in hindsight, because they were probably thinking, oh, because sometimes the storytelling stuff works really well in the ring. It's just the crowd was probably gassed because they were there for seven or eight hours at that point. So maybe it was just a matter of like, hey, maybe the match... And I know why you want to put it on last because it's The Undertaker, and this is last match ever. But maybe given the fact that they knew crowd fatigue would be a factor. And now I'm just second-guessing the WWE, and that's horrible and stupid. It is. Fair, fair. fair. Uh, what do you think of the Goldberg-Brock Lesnar match? I saw one person on Twitter say it was great. I can't imagine it was great. How was it? They booked it smart. Neither guy can move anymore. It was five minutes long. They each got a bunch of moves in. Brock Lesnar won. It was the best way they could they could book it. It was just two giant guys hitting each other with power moves for five minutes. Lesnar doing a leap flat, leapfrog when Goldberg tried to spear him, F5-ing him, and that match was over. I thought it was actually perfectly booked, considering how limited Goldberg is at this point. And now Goldberg is completely done, correct? Yeah, he's gone on the way to dinosaurs. His, his, his thing was already running thin, like wearing thin pretty quickly. Like I don't he, even know why people care. Why do people well, care? Well, did, people really didn't care. And then he cut like a decent promo on his return, and people were like, oh, did he, does he? Because the thing was, people didn't ever think he actually cared about wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, he just used it to make money, which goes back to a point we made when I went on that weird rant. Um, so, like, wrestling fans always held it against him. Then he cut this really good promo when he came back, and people were like, oh, he cares. And then that started to wear thin, like, a month and a half later, when they're like, oh, he still doesn't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, but I was never opposed to the whole thing. I didn't like. I never like when older guys are beating up younger guys because how, how do you advance the business and when you try to make create young stars? But that's kind of how every WrestleMania works. Like you need these these big name part timers or nostalgia acts to bring in the casual fan back. Right. So I get it. You know what I mean? And I thought they handled it well. And Brock Lesnar's still under contract for another year, so he's a new the champion, and he'll probably drop the belt either at next WrestleMania or sometime before it. Wow, yeah, that'd be a long time to hold on to it, but uh, I'm glad Goldberg's gone. See you later, and uh, take care, Undertaker. Good stuff. Bye-bye, Undertaker. All right, Joe, let's end our show with some absurd questions. Absurd questions. I'm going to let you go first, because I feel like every now and then you throw a real uh, curveball at me, and it is a bad way to end the show. So let's see what you got today. All right, so last night we did some wrestling talk. We did some championship game talk. I'm going to combine the two. I think we know both are going to have the same answer here. If you could have one person be your tag team partner and you can only select from North Carolina or Gonzaga, who would it be? Are we talking historically or are we just talking last night? Last night's game. Oh, boy, that that's a really tough question. No, I think it's a really easy answer. I don't know that it's Karnowski. Can you say his first name? I call him Frank. Is it? Is it <laughs> I feel like I heard them calling him Shimmy. What the, it's not. Think? It's well. Listen, like a lot of people call him Frank, and this is true, Frank Karnowski. Um, I can't pronounce his first name. I can't pronounce a lot of people's names, so I try to avoid it. That's why I just call him Karnowski, or uh, that's it. So, but yeah, he looks like he looks like a good tag team partner. He does. He does. I mean, I think Kennedy Meeks is definitely in there a little bit too. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm really impressed with Tony Bradley. I don't know that he could play the sport much, but I, I think one day, you know, I think he's. He's a work in progress. I think he could be better. Uh, it's definitely not going to be Luke May. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Part of me, part of me wants to pick pick Hicks here, 
Part of me wants to pick Hicks. I feel like he could be a high flyer. He's very athletic, very strong. You're just going Karnowski. You're going with the big guy because he's big. Um, yeah, and he kind of has the look. He does. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I'm probably just playing because I think he looks like like big and frumpy. He's also like seven one. He's a gigantic person. He's huge. Um, I mean, I could see him being the type of guy that you put in like a unitard, you know, to wrestle. Like I, I could see it. I just I don't I don't know, man. He's not mobile enough, and he missed all those shots at the basket. I don't want him as my partner. Give me Kennedy Meeks. I could see Kennedy Meeks being like surprisingly agile too in a wrestling ring. I mean, we've seen him play basketball for it feels like five years now, not even four years. It feels like the guy's been a college basketball player forever. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with Kennedy Meeks. Winner, winners get to fight with me. Sorry, Karnowski. Fair enough. All right, Joe, my question for you has nothing to do with the college basketball game or wrestling. If you could be a fully functioning vampire, mummy, Frankenstein, or other monster, what would it be and why? All right, so Frankenstein, mummy, werewolf, all those are out the window um, because you can't get none when you're looking like that. Vampire. Well, you, you're like you're like humanly functioning. Like you're thinking like a human, but you're right. Also but like, if I'm a mummy, you're a werewolf, and I go to like happy hour, I'm not getting any vampires. Historically, though, they have like some kind of special aura around them that oozes sexualness, and women love them. So yeah, vampires is the easy answer, man. I'd probably finally have, get to date Richie. Then you'd have to live forever. Okay, that doesn't scare you. No, it means I get to play Mass Effect '97 when it comes out. <laughs> I guess. I mean, death. Death scares me more than being alive forever. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way. To be completely honest, death. Death does uh, really scare the hell out of me. But uh, I don't know that I'd want to live forever. That. That's no. You can still scary. like if you want to like say after a thousand years and you're like, yeah, this kind of sucks. You can still put a stake in your heart. Right. Yeah. No. I guess you could. You could kill yourself. Run outside in the sun, screaming True. freedom. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that that's a really good point. Like, why would you not be a vampire? Vampires kind of get, like, anything they want. They could fly. You know, they, they're night people, so they get to be awake at the best time and of like the day. And, like, the only deformity you have is your little pasty, and you have sharp teeth. Well, also, the development of vampires have allowed them to go out during the day. I mean, you know, there there's all this new new science coming out that allows <laughs> vampires to function better. When oh, yeah, like, AV Block 7? Like, man, you're good. You're gold. Go outside for a little bit. Right. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I might want. You know, like Swamp Monster. I don't really want to be Swamp Thing. That's that's pretty terrible. You live in a swamp. Uh, are, dra- are dragons monsters? Oh, that's a good question. No, I think that's stretching. Because then you're going to this whole thing like, well, do you could you be a dragon? Could you be, uh, a, I don't know, something else that's not really like even partly human? Like mummies, werewolves, vampires. They're all at least in the human range. Do you know what I mean? Like a dragon's not a human. Yeah, I guess that's a weird thing about about uh, Frankenstein's too. Like at least mummies and vampires, like at one point were a human form. Or Frankenstein's are they human? Well, parts point? of them, right? Like that's how they. Well, the thing Frankenstein isn't even Frankenstein. Doctor Frankenstein's the doctor, and then the right. the, the guy's the, called something else. His name's like Ted, <laughs> or something. But you know what I mean. Whatever. But he, he made he's made up of human parts. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I. I kind of wanted to go the Frankenstein route here, but, uh, nah, he's stupid and slow. Like, maybe if I'm a quick Frankenstein, I didn't see the, uh, Aaron Eckert Frankenstein vehicle. I don't know if you got to see that movie. I feel like you watch bad movies, so you no, might I didn't have... watch, no, no, a movie called I, Frankenstein, I'm not, I'm not there for it. 
Right, that that kind of turned me off a lot. That it was called I Frankenstein. Also, Aaron Eckert is you know blah for me. Don't don't necessarily love him, so I, I didn't really need to see it. But I feel like that's probably pretty progressive Frankenstein. Maybe if I see that movie, it'll change my my thought on this. But yeah, vampires. I was hoping we'd get an answer different than vampires, but I just don't think you can. No, I think vampires is like seriously like your your lifestyle is not dramatically altered. It's mostly improved. You don't look like a freak show. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. So, true, I mean, you don't even know that Blade is a vampire. Right. And, well, he's only part vampire. And, uh, like, I don't want to be a vampire hunter. I want to go out killing tons of people. I just use all the perks. And then, like, you know, like, if I'm hungry, yeah, I'll go and eat stuff, but, people. But, like, I'm not going to just go out there and be an evil vampire. Like, I'll go and I'll find somebody that's probably at the end of the road. Like, I'd, I'd eat on the elderly. Oh, that, yeah, I guess. Well, as opposed to, like, some 20-something kid that has their life ahead of them. So if I, I, I just prey on nursing homes. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All I'm right. a responsible vampire. You are. That, that's I gonna... would, however, because, like, over a period of time, you'd be able to come rich because you'd figure things out. And uh, I would definitely try to build a castle. I mean, you could probably just, you know, kick some people out of a castle. and take Yeah, it. but you still need documents and deeds. Like, I try to live on the up and up here. Fair enough. You're, so you're like a, uh, a good Samaritan vampire. Yeah, like I'm not going to be like uh, Tom Cruise in an interview with a vampire. I'm going to be more like, uh, I don't know, are there normal vampires that don't destroy things? I'm trying to think. I can't really think well, of that. That'd be a really bad premise of a movie. All right, here's the deal, guys. Here's, here's the pitch. The vampire just lives day to day in a nice house on a quiet street. He drives a Prius. Right. This is a vampire who doesn't want trouble. You know what I mean? Like maybe like, he's just trying to get by. He juices instead of eating people. I maybe I don't know, man. Like he goes to the blood bank. It's definitely a comedy movie and not like a, a no serious absurd question. Who would be the star of your happy vampire movie? I if, could see this being an Adam Sandler movie, to be completely honest. Oh god, no, Adam Sandler. Um, I, so we're not talking about a good movie. It's Will Forte. Nice. I, I think like, he I think he'd play the role well. He would because he'd be like he's he's not threatening Will Forte at all. He's he's a very sympathetic figure. So you could kind of get behind him being this passive aggressive, funny not funny, just trying to live a normal life vampire. I, I dig it. Make it happen, Fox. Yeah, Fox. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll be back on our normal schedule. So back to Fridays and Mondays moving forward. Just wanted to record today to recap last night's game. Thank you guys again for listening. You know who I am, and you can follow me on Twitter at jmintzhoops. Joseph, tell the good people where they can find you. Uh, on the Twitters at Joseph Nardone, N-E-R-D-O-N-E. You can also find my writing at fanrexports.com. Make sure you're checking out the college basketball stuff going up today and this week because we are entering the offseason, and these guys had a terrific year. So, Joe, I tip my cap to you. Well, thanks, Jared. You're a good person and a good friend. And, uh, guys, don't leave me just because college basketball season's over. All around me are familiar websites, worn out clickbait, worn out hot takes, bright and early for the daily link dumps, no one's clicking, no one's clicking, their pupils are filling up their pockets. But not for writers, not for writers. 
Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The internet, in which I'm worthless, is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world.